Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. A quick question. Has anybody here ever been sailing? Like, raise your hand if you've ever been sailing. Yeah. It's not the same as boating, to which I found out the super hard way. My wife and I honeymooned at Cancun, Mexico. It was either between Cancun, it was either between 10 days in Cancun or five days in Hawaii. But I figured Hawaii might be more beautiful, but I really wasn't planning on leaving the room anyway. <laughs> so 10 days in Cancun sounds good. Um, children's church is over there. That's where you take your kids, okay? Uh, talk big stories, stuff here. Um, so 10 days in Cancun, and um, when we did get out of the room, there was these excursions. There was one, it was sailing. Sail your own boat. I was like, and he told me it was free, like it was a part of my package. I was like, I'm all over that. We have a saying in our home. If it's free, it's for me. And so uh, I said, yeah, dude, I'm all over that. He said, have you ever been sailing before? I lied. Because when he said sailing, I thought boating because I'd never been on a sailboat. So for me, all boats have, you know, what boats have. And so I said, yeah, man. Got on the boat, and the boat started moving, which was cool because that's what I wanted to do. I get on the boat, and the undertow of the Gulf of Mexico begins to pull us out to the center of the sea. And we are going and going. I haven't really thought about it yet. And we start getting really far, and I'm like, I think we should go back now. She's like, yeah, I'm starting to get hungry. We should probably go back. I'm like, cool. Um, how do we go back? And then, I, then this thought comes to me. I'm like, where's the engine? Where's the motor? Like, I haven't, you know, I haven't been on many boats, but every boat that I'm on, there's a motor. And then I started, how did I even get out here without a motor? We're just on the boat, just going. And then, and then Liz, she's the smart one in the relationship. She looks at me and she goes, babe, I, this is a sailboat. And I'm like, yeah. Like, it still hadn't clicked yet. She's like, it's powered by the wind. I'm like, oh. How do we, how do we, um, how do we get the wind to move this boat? And, uh. And there, there was no wind uh, at all. And so now we are out. The beach has gotten further and further away. And we are no idea how to get back, no idea how to sail. There's no wind whatsoever. And we are just floating out in the middle of the sea. And I'm freaking out a little bit, you know. And, and you might think, well, hey, you know, well, that's not bad. At least you weren't drowning. Yeah, but sometimes floating is just as dangerous as drowning. For example, there is this space on the globe right along the equatorial line of the earth 
right where the northern hemisphere meets the southern hemisphere, um, and it's where the northern winds from the northern hemisphere actually counteract the southern winds of the southern hemisphere. And right along that zero-degree line on the equator, it's called the doldrums. And there's no wind in that area. And before there were powered boats, motored boats, engine boats, all that stuff, sailors who found themselves in the doldrums actually would die. There were no storms, but there was no way to get out. They were just floating and just, just, just standing there. They, they would die of either uh, heat exhaustion from the sun or starvation after they ate all their food. And I share that story today because I wonder if there's anybody here who maybe finds themselves floating in the doldrums of life. No wind, no passion, no fire, no joy, just kind of. And they're wondering, where am I going? What am I doing? What is this all about? I know I was there in 2014. I don't know that I've ever been clinically depressed. Um, I've never been you know, diagnosed as such. But I would say that the closest I ever became was in 2014. And it was really a crazy time because I had just gotten a promotion I had just started making more money than I had ever made in my entire life. My kids were healthy. My wife was fine. I mean, everything was going good. Uh, but I remember going to church one day, and I worked there, and we were having a conference for global pastors. We had pastors from Honduras, Ecuador, Nicaragua, Salvador, Brazil, mostly the Latin countries come. We were teaching them how to do ministry. And I remember sitting in my chair as an expert on youth ministry as questions are coming, and it's my turn to ask the question. And before the question gets to me, all I can think to myself is, I would give anything to be able to run out of this building right now. Not because I hated church and not because I hated my church and not because I hated ministry and not because I hated God. There was just a doldrum in my life. I was still, there was no happiness. Church had become routine to me. Ministry had become routine to me. I couldn't pray. Worship music annoyed me. Come on, somebody knows what I'm talking about. You're like, will you please shut up, shout to the Lord. Will you please shut that down for a second? Tired of that song. Oceans. Oceans was the one. Oh, my goodness. I will break your speaker if I heard Oceans on my Hillsong at that time. I could not stand it. I was in such a bad place in my life. And what's scary and what made it scary, listen, is that I didn't know why. Like I said, it had always been my dream to marry a beautiful woman, and I had. It had always been my dream to be in full-time ministry, and I was. It had always been my dream to make a living, and not just a living, but a good living doing ministry, and I was. Everything was going right. All the boxes were checked, but I did not know what was happening, which what made it, it's what made it scary, because if you know the cause, then you can find the cure. But if you have no idea why you feel the way you feel, it just gets scary and it gets frustrating. And you start wondering, where am I going? What am I doing? It's not making sense. And I wonder if there's anybody here today who can sympathize with those feelings. Maybe you grew up in church and, and, and you used to love the things of the Lord. You used to love God. You used to, now praying is a struggle. Or you used to love being married. Like when you got married, like it was the best thing in the world. When you guys slept together in your bed, you were like all over her. Now you're like all the way on your little corner, like no man's land. Just don't touch me. Leave me alone. I don't know. Maybe when you had kids, you loved your kids and you still do, but now you want them to sleep longer. Or you loved your job, and it was so great. When you got the job, you started tweeting about it and posting on social media. Oh, I just got this job. Tell all your friends, I just got this job. Now it's a year later, and you're like, Lord, please get me out of this job. And, 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 and we wonder, is, it, is, is that the thing that's the problem, or am I the thing that's the problem? You know, we hear a lot about storms in church. 
Nobody ever talks about the doldrums. But I would say that the doldrums are more dangerous than the storms. Because at least in the storms, people know you need help. If I'm in the middle of a storm, somebody's coming up to me like, hey, do you need a life raft? Hey, I got you. Come on over. You look like you're in trouble. At least in the storms, they reach out to you. But in the doldrums, everyone thinks you're fine because you're floating. Right? And so you learn to smile. And you learn to wave. And you learn to pretend like everything's all right. You know how many boats passed me in the Gulf of Mexico? Like 15 boats. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Oh, God, please, somebody save me. You guys are right over there? Absolutely. Yeah. I had my wife in that boat. She just married me. I was not going to do anything that would emasculate me, okay? I had to be the man. I was going to act like a punk, think, her thinking, did I just marry a wimp? Like, what is going on? So I just pretended like I had everything under control, right? And that's what we learned to do. We don't jump off the boat because drowning would be scary, so we just stay and we just flow and we become professional pretenders, right? Everything's fine. Everything's okay. Don't worry about me. Just floating here. We're just going through the motions, and the motions are killing us, killing us. I love to read. I'm a big reader. Sometimes in the car, I'll read, and I've learned that that's not a good thing. How many people get car sick when you read in the car? Anybody? I'm all the time, all the time I read in the car. So one day I got real frustrated because I felt like, you know, in the car is a great time to read when you're not driving. Just in case you didn't, you know, and Liz is driving and I'm reading my, you know, my Kindle or whatever. Um, I always get car sick. And so I did some research to figure out why I always got car sick. And it turns out that, that car sickness is actually a form of motion sickness. And, and, and it turns out that the reason why you get motion sickness when you're in the car is because your eyes are fixed on the text but your peripheral vision is still operating. So although your eyes are fixed on the text, it sees the trees passing by you and the brain cannot reconcile both feelings. Your brain cannot reconcile the feeling of I should be moving with the feeling of, but I'm not. I wonder if there's a motion sickness of the soul. When we look around and it feels like we should be moving, like I don't understand, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, like I'm coming to church, like I feel like there should be some progress in my marriage, like I feel like there should be some progress in my relationships, like I feel like there should be some progress in my, in my job, like I feel like there should be some progress in my happiness, my overall joy. I see my friends being happy. I see my other single friends being happy. I'm about to graduate from college. I'm about to re receive my grandson into the world. I feel like I should be moving, but I can't help but feel like I'm stuck at the same time. And I'm not going anywhere. Emotion sickness of the soul. And that was me. And as I was going through that depression or that borderline depression, I remember Liz would look over. She was scared. She was scared for me. And about, you know, at that time we had been married, gosh, maybe six years. And not a ton of time, but six years enough to know that I had never been in a, in a, in a season like that ever in my life. And so she began to pray for me. Maybe it was her prayers that took me over the edge. But I got up at three in the morning one day, could not handle it anymore. And I went down to my living room, and I don't know that I prayed a word, but I know that I cried my eyes out. And I am not a crier. It's not. There's nothing manly about it. I just don't cry. I just don't cry. I only cry for two things, and one is God's presence, and the other is like somebody dies. Like, that's it. That's the only times I cry. Um, sad movies don't get me. Well, one did, but I don't want to talk about that. Um, that's why I don't watch all these TV shows nowadays that are trying to get you to try. Like, I will never see This Is Us, ever. I just heard too much about it. 
I don't want to, I don't want to spend my time being sad. I don't want to do that. Okay? Anyway, side note. Um, where was I? I don't know. Uh, I'm not a crier. But that night, three in the morning, I started crying. And you know what that was for me? Listen, you know when you do get sick and you do get motion sickness in that car, you know the one thing that always solves it? Cracking down that window and getting a breath of what? And it comes in and everything on the inside calms down and there's life again. At 3 a.m., cry fest in God's presence was exactly what I needed. It was that little crack, that little snippet of fresh air in our lives. And for the next six weeks, what I want to do with you is I want to crack that window down a little bit in every area of your life, in your marriages, in your singleness, in your retirement life, in your work life, with your children, with your hopes and your dreams. I believe God wants to, again, like remember when you used to enjoy this? Remember when you used to look forward to coming home? Remember when you used to get up in the morning excited about work, excited about your ministry, excited about your job? I mean, God's going to do that again. Looking into the whole fresh air thing, I started doing some research on that. And I said, well, how come fresh air gives us that life? And no scientist, no doctor could find a solution. The only solution they kept saying was, we don't know what's happening, but we know that it's something on the inside, they said. Nothing is happening outside of your body. It's not about a temperature change. It's something between your mind and your heart. Something is happening on the inside when you get that fresh breath. That led me to the title of this message. It's, it's an inside job because I read this scripture. We can go there on the screen or you can follow along. Mark chapter 4, verse 26, that says this. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Listen to verse 28. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. I want to focus on those words, all by itself. You know, I started looking for alternative protein sources because I've been working out. Thank you. I see you can tell. Shirts are going to have to get baggier and baggier as we continue, so. Yeah, yeah, but I have, really have been working out, and I've been looking for some protein sources that are quick, you know, because, like, I don't have time to make chicken all, all day, um, you know, or steak or, or protein shake, and so, so I'm like, what are some quick protein sources? Did some research, found out pumpkin seeds are a tremendous source of protein and uh, seeds in general, which confused me because I always thought protein came from animals. Like you had to be eating other things in order, in order for me to eat you. <laughs> that was the chain of, of whatever that's called, uh, hierarchy of, of food. Um, but no, it turns out that in order for the seed to be able to grow, the seed has to actually store protein inside of itself so that when it starts to grow, it can actually provide for itself before the process of photosynthesis kicks in. That protein, that energy, it was lying inside of it all along. Here's, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Your passion's not dead. It's dormant. You thought it was gone, never to be seen again. But it's inside of you. It's always been inside of you. The fire's still inside of you. The ambition is still inside of you. The energy is still inside of you. The excitement is still inside. Come on, I'm prophesying to some dead bones this morning. Come on. The, the hope is still inside of you. The purpose is still inside of you. The passion is still inside of you. All you need to do is get it stirred and drawn out. 
But how do we do that? What does verse 28 say? Can we go back to verse 28? All by itself, the what? The what? The what? The soil is what brings it out, which is great and significant and important because all along you've been asking the wrong question. You've been in the doldrums, life windless, life passionless, no more energy or joy for the things you used to have energy and joy about. And you've been asking yourself the wrong question. The question you've been asking is, what am I missing? But I got good news. Everything you ever needed, God already put inside of you. You're not missing a thing. And now that we know that that's not the right question, we can change the question. You are where you are, and you're trying to get out, and the question is not, what are you missing? The question is, where are you planted? Because where you're planted will determine what you produce. If you plant in good soil, you will produce. If you plant in bad soil, you won't produce. So where are you planted? Because if you're planted in relationships, that soil will fail. If you're planted in your career, that soil will fail. If you're planted in your family, and I love family, but if you're planted in your family, that soil will fail. Well, where do I plant? This is what Colossians chapter 2, verse 7 says. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. God said, when I made you, I put everything you ever needed inside of you. And because I put it inside of you, I'm the only one that can get it out of you. The only one that can get it out of you. The only one. Only one. Why? Why? Well, look at here. Look at what Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 through 8 says. But before I do that, let me just summarize. Let me just summarize the entire message, the thesis. If you're one of those people who falls asleep through my message, may God throw coals on top of your head, burn your little pinky toe, and everything in between. But, 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 but if you are going to wake up right now, just wake up for this one sentence, and you can doze off after this, okay? Listen, here is my message. You will never enjoy life if you can't enjoy God. And, 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 it, and that's real. You will never enjoy life if you can't enjoy God. And I mean, and I mean, well, my, I love speaking to the, listen, our church, we speak to the person who's coming and trying to figure this whole God thing out all the time. But let me speak to everybody who's doing this for a long time. I mean, enjoy him, not serve him. I mean, enjoy him. Enjoy him. Here's what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 through 8. Is it okay? We're going to read a ton of Bible verses today. Is that all right? I believe there's power in the word. Just follow me. Okay, we got it on the screen. We'll go quick. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the, when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. If you know anything about plants, you know plants need water to survive. And every plant that you and I know of depends on the rain for that. It depends on the external circumstances. If money's going well, then you've got joy and you've got passion. If you just got that promotion, you've got joy. You've got passion. If you're healthy and you're built and you're looking good, you've got joy. You've got passion. If your kid's got two arms, two legs, and they're all healthy, you've got joy. You've got passion. But what the problem with that whole formula is what happens during the seasons of drought? What happens during the season of no rain? The Bible says you better be planted by a stream so that whether it rains or not, you do not lack your sustenance. And I love the poetry involved in the passage. It says your leaves will be green. 
You know, Alicia's got an aloe vera from her grandmother, right? An aloe vera plant uh, from, her, from her late grandma. And she's trying to bring it back to life. And we know that we're trying to bring it back to life because that thing is brown right now. It is brown. It's brown. And Liz has made that aloe vera like the, the mission of her life. It's like bring people to Jesus and bring that thing back to life. It's like that's what she wants to do. And, and it's only been two days and the brown's already turning green. That green is a sign of life, of vibrancy, of vigor, of passion. God is saying, no matter the season, if you plant yourself in me, your leaves will always be green. You'll always have life. You'll always have energy. You'll always give. And then I love the last bit of poetry. And it says, it will never cease to yield fruit. In other words, if you plant yourself in God, then you'll see the production in every other area of your life. So if you get by the stream, and then all of a sudden, oh, you know what? My job's not that bad. Actually, you know what? My boss is a bit of a jerk, but I love my job. I love my job. Hey, you know what? Prayer used to be a struggle, but hey, this is not good. Hey, you know what? That my boyfriend who I thought was, you know what? He's not, the problem was actually me. But now that I'm planted in God, I can see that fruit coming out. And all of a sudden now, see, but it's all about where you're planted. We're trying to plant ourselves in apples and produce more apples. God says, no, you got to find your stream, and I'll produce in you. I'm trying to convince you that the resurgence of your personal passion will only happen if you plant yourself in God's presence. Let me tell you, by the way, that is why the devil is after your love for God. Because if he can block up the stream, the tree will die. If I cut off a tree, that don't work. What happens when you cut off a tree? It actually produces more fruit. See, the devil tries plan A and then he goes to plan B. He's like, I'm gonna take something away from them. And then we're like, well, the miracle's what it takes. I'm just gonna produce more. That's just what I do, suffering makes me grow. And he's like, you know what, that's not working. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna let life go fine. I'm not gonna hurt him anymore. I'm not gonna send any more storms. I'm just gonna do everything I can to put something in between them and the source. Because if I could do that, the fruit will shrivel up by itself. Come on, somebody. That's why he's after that. That's why he's after that. Let me tell you, before you lose love for your family, you will lose love for God. Before you lose love for your husband, you will lose love for God. Before you lose love for life, you lose love for God. That's what comes first. Here's what I want to do today, and I only got like, 10 minutes left. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but here's my mission. I have to convince you in 10 minutes. I had to spend 20 minutes to convince you that God was the source. Now, here's what I got to do with my last 10. I got to convince you to fall in love with God like you've never fallen in love with him before. But here is my problem. How in the world do you do that? I mean, I'm a to-doer. I operate on to-do lists. I have like 12 I thought about taking snapshots of my to-do list just to show you. Like, I'm not kidding. I'm an achiever. That's like my strength. I love to check things off. Anybody like me? Just, a, just I need a checklist. I need a to-do list. Some of you guys just fly by the seat of your pants, people. I don't know how you survive. I don't know how you put food on the table. I, that's not me. I need a calendar. I need a to-do list. I need to knock things out and check things off. And my problem is I'm, I'm praying to the Lord. I'm saying, God, show me what to do so that I can tell the people what to do and then they can fall in love with you. And you know what the Bible says? You know what God told me? You know what I realized looking back in my own life? There's nothing you can do to make yourself fall in love with God. I told Liz, this is going to be a challenge. We try to make our messages practical. We do this thing on Monday where we send out this email called Win Your Week. Do this and you will see that. I'm like, what do we do? What can you do? 
to make yourself fall in love with God. I know when I was younger, I would tell my pastor, hey, pastor, I'm struggling with my passion for the Lord. You know what he was to tell me? He'd tell me, you got to pray more. You got to read your Bible more. You got to fast more. I shouldn't say this because now I'm a pastor and I have a church, but he said, you got to come to church more. Which you should come to church a lot, as much as you can. But here was my problem. I did all those things and it did not budge my passion. But God, in fact, I knew people who were the most faithful tithers, the most faithful churchgoers, and they were just as depressed as me, just as sad as I was. You can't do it. Here's what the scripture says. I told you we'd be in the Bible. Matthew chapter seven, verse 20. It says, go straight to 22. Matthew chapter seven, verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And when I declare to them, I never knew you. In other words, he said, look, they're doing all the things but they missed it. It's not about doing the things. It's about knowing me. And sometimes we can get caught up in so much in doing the things, we forget that while the things are important, the things are not the main thing. The main thing is Jesus and knowing him and having a relationship with him. So I went back to my pastor and I said, pastor, I did all those things and they're still not passionate about God. He says, it's, be it's because of the things you need to stop doing. So we need to cut off the smoking. You need to cut off alcohol and you need to cut off the addictions and you need to cut off all this sin in your life. And I, well, that's pretty good advice. And so I did some of those things too. And I started to get myself clean, but you know what? To no avail, my passion was not there. And then I read this story again, and I'm not going to go through it because it's long, but it's in the book of Matthew chapter five, verse one through 12. It's the story of the 10 virgins who have oil in their lamp. And the Bible says five of them had oil and five of them did it. And then the, the groom came and these virgins were supposed to go with the groom to the wedding. But five of them were ready. They had oil in their lamps. Five of them didn't. And when they heard the groom coming, they went to the, to the store to get some oil. And when they came back, the groom had already left. And so he knocks on the door. And this is what, this is what let's just go straight to verse, 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 verse 12. Verse, verse 11. Verse 11. I don't know if you can see it on the screen, but I'm going to read verse 11. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling. Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. I don't know you. In other words, listen, when we have our focus on the, when we have our focus on doing the, they were virgins. You have to catch that. Virgins, they were pure. There was nothing wrong with them. What was wrong about it was in their, in their quest for purity, in their quest to look good, they forgot the wedding. It's like the oil's important. You need oil. But I, and I looked up all the Hebrew tradition. I tried to do the research. A lamp was not a requirement to come to a wedding, but they cared more about their appearance than their attendance. And God said, hey, the oil's good, the oil's important, but don't miss the wedding. It's all about the wedding. And I don't know you, so I appreciate you, you know, feeding the homeless, and I appreciate you being pure and being that virgin, but don't forget me. It's all about me. It's about me. Are all those things important? Yes. Not sinning is important. Doing good things is important. My argument is not that they're important. My argument is that we have the formula backwards. You don't do things and avoid bad. You don't do good things and avoid bad things to love God. Because you love God, you do things and avoid bad things. And here's what we're doing. We're trying to pray into our passion. We're trying to read into our passion. And God's like, you're just going to get frustrated. Love me first. And all that will come out by itself. It's not, your relationship with God is not like the great American classic movie starring Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Lopez. The Wedding Planner. It's not like that movie. 
What do you mean? There's a scene at the end where the father is trying to convince J-Lo to marry this guy that she doesn't really know, and it's an arranged marriage. All the girls are like, yup, yup. The guy's like, I've never seen it. Um, the, 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 you're lying. You know you have. Um, they, go to them, they go to them, and they say, they say, here's what he says. She says, but I don't love him. And then the father says this to her. He says, you'll learn to love him. You'll serve him. You'll make him dinner. You'll wash his clothes, and one day you'll wake up and you'll love him. God doesn't ask that of us. He doesn't say, obey me, come to church, pray your Bible, and you'll learn to love me. But that's why we're so frustrated because that's the formula we're employing. We get up in the morning and we get dressed and we pray, I'll learn to love him. One day I'll be passionate about him. No, no, no. He wants to love, he wants us to love him first and let the obedience flow out of that. It's not like the wedding planner. It's like the other American classic starring Ryan Gosling. And I don't know the girl's name. Somebody's going to shout it out, but The Notebook. I don't know if you've seen this movie, I'm a spoiler alert. It's an old man and an old woman. And the old woman is that man's wife, but she doesn't know it because she's suffering from dementia. And so what he does is he comes to her senior's home and he reads to her a story, which happens to be the story of their love, but she doesn't know it. She's just an old woman enjoying her story. So he sits down and he tells her the story. And he says, let me tell you this story. It's about a man who loved a woman so much that he gave up everything for her. And at the end of this love story, the woman opens up her eyes and she goes, oh my God, that's me. You're Noah. And I'm, what's her name? Allie. You're Noah. And I'm Allie. That's me. Listen, 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 you got to grab this. Can I go down here? Because I, I, I need you to grab this. I never come down here. I need you to grab the importance of this. That is what the gospel does in your life. You hear this, this is how we fall in love. We hear the story of this amazing person named Jesus Christ who created the world, who set it in motion. We ran away, but he chased us. And one day he became human, died on a cross so that you and I can live. And as we hear that story, we go, oh my God, that's me. That's not the story of Jesus coming to die for the world. That's the story of Jesus coming to die for Don. That's the story of Jesus coming to die for Joseph. That's the story of Jesus coming to die for Lorraine. And as we hear God's love for us, our love for him wakes up. You don't do anything or stop doing anything to fall in love with God. You just realize how much he loves you. Here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 14. Listen, we love. Why? We love because he first loved us. Oh man, when Liz and I were uh, not dating, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this story like 20 times. You're gonna be with us for the next 20 years of our growing our church, and you're gonna hear this story at least once a year, because it's epic. I never thought I had a chance with her. I thought she was so out of my league. One day she sends out a mass text that I thought was for me. You know when you like hit everybody up in your phone book? I thought I got it. It said, happy heart day. It was on Valentine's. Happy heart day. I said, I got a heart day message from this girl. That's great. So I texted her. I know it was a mass message. I texted her back. I said, but I, and I always knew who she was. I was always kind of interested in her, but see, I had a lot of insecurities. I had been in two relationships prior. Each one of the girls cheated on me, and I just decided I had been three years since I was single, and so I just decided, you know what? I'm not going to get into the next relationship unless I'm sure. I'm not going to open my heart to that anymore. I, I was guarding my heart. And she texted me back. I said, I said, I said, I said to her, I said, make sure you spend it with someone who makes you smile. That was my way of figuring out if she had a man. Make sure you spend it with someone who makes you smile. She texts me back. 
You know what she said? Let me just tell all my teenage girls in the room today, do not follow your pastor's example. This was inspired by the Holy Spirit. That was it. But don't do this, what she did. She texted me back. She said, okay, and when you come to Orlando. I said, girl. <laughs> True story. And something happened that day. My love for her, my interest in her began to grow. Why? Because I found out she was first interested in me. And when I found out she was interested in me, all of a sudden my guard started coming down and I got my eyes off of my insecurities thinking someone like you could love me. And all of a sudden my love for her started growing. When you get your eyes off of yourself and onto the one who loves you just the way you are, there's a passion that begins to stir up inside. He likes me. He loves me. You mean he sent his son to die for me? You mean he created me and gave me a hope and a future and a me, little old me, the one who's been through broken relationships, the one who's been cheated on, the one who's been divorced three times, the one who's poor and ain't got no money, the one who's living off their social security check. Yeah, you. He loves you. You stand on your feet, stand on your feet, stand on your feet. One last story. I was the director of an internship program. And, 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 and maybe it was just the context, but I'm leading these group of young men who have taken a vow to not date for a year. They've also taken a vow to like not live off of money, just kind of all in God. And so I do a little survey with them. I hand out a survey, kind of like we did at Easter. I said, I want you to summarize Christianity in one word. Okay, more piece of paper. I want you to think of that one word right now. But don't forget, forget about what I just preached about. Don't be like, love, yeah, because I preached that. Just imagine if I gave you a, a paper, piece of paper right now. And I said, write down one word that symbolizes Christianity. And you know what? Every single, I'm, I'm going to give you the top five answers. I, 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 I clumped them up. Or the top three. I clumped them up. The words were this. Christianity in one word. Are you ready? Death, sacrifice, and pain. I said, wow. Now one person wrote joy or happiness or love. Every single person, one of those three answers. Death, sacrifice, or joy. And I, and I, and I figured out what the problem was. You know what the problem was? They kept looking at Christianity through the lens of everything they had to do to get to him and not everything he had to do to get to you. So in case you forgot, let me remind you. And as I start reading these Bible verses, if you, if you, if you feel, you know, moved to clap or pray, then you, but make sure you can listen to me. Let me remind you in case you forgot. First John chapter, chapter four, four verse nine, three verse 16. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous to you or have your good opinion, I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it's lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. Instead, immense in mercy, what an incredible love. He embraced us, took our sin-dead lives, and made us alive in Christ. He did all this with no help from us. 
4, verse 9 through 11. This is how God showed love for us. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that once upon time of love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. And I could keep reading, but let me just end on Psalms 100. I can't keep reading because this is what it says. For the Lord is good and his love never ends. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.